This morning's scripture reading comes from the book of Ephesians. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head and to Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working together properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. In 2012, uh, an author, Thomas Bergler, wrote an award-winning book called, awesome title, The Juvenilization of American Christianity. The only word I like better than that is saying democratization. Right? You... To, to democratize everything may not be a good idea, and to juvenilize everything may not be a good idea. And in the book, he simply traced the emergence of youth culture in the church. And uh, he talked about how youth ministries in the church, as well as parachurch ministries, seeking to do a good thing, especially back all the way to the 50s and 60s, tried to create an environment where the youth of Jesus' culture uh, would want to stick around in the church. And then, of course, that happened in its own ways in, in the 70s and the 80s and so on and so forth. And his argument is that we, we come to a place now where we're, we're reaping that, uh, the unintended consequences of a youth culture because now we all expect things to be like youth group. We all expect church to always feel happy and entertaining and good. Same year, in 2012, he wrote an article for Christianity Today, and it was the most read article on, on their website all year. And the title of that was, When Are We Going to Grow Up? Subtitle, We Are All Adolescents Now. And he started the article with this paragraph. He said, quote, the house lights go down, spinning Multicolored lights sweep the auditorium. A rock band launches into a rousing opening song. Ignore everything else. This time is just about you and Jesus, proclaims the lead singer. Notice his phrases, by the way. It's not a sanctuary, it's an auditorium. It's not a worship leader, it's a lead singer. I'll go on. The music changes to a slow dance tune. And the people sing about falling in love with Jesus. A guitarist sporting skinny jeans and a soul patch closes the worship set with a prayer beginning, Hey God. The spotlight then falls on the speaker. Again, listen to the language, not a preacher, a speaker. I heard one time say, don't call me a speaker. A speaker is, uh, is something like that up there, right? I'm a preacher. So the spotlight falls on the speaker who tells entertaining stories, cracks a few jokes, and assures everyone that God is not mad at you. He loves you unconditionally. Now, that's not all bad. And, and in Christian subculture, it's becoming really fun and normal 
commonplace to poke fun at these types of things, isn't it? We have Babylon B and we have Christian comedians and they do a wonderful job at making us look at these silly things. Uh, and it's kind of fun sometimes and it's easy to poke fun at these obvious type of expressions of juvenilization. But there are other ways that you and I have been affected by this. It's not simply the obvious ways and not all the obvious ways are always bad. But in, in the broader culture, there is a term that is, at least conceptually in my mind, parallel to the youth culture the church has created. And that term was, in a, uh, was nominated for the word of the year in 2015. It also became a hashtag. And that term, by the way, in English, we love to make nouns verbs. We love it. And that word was adulting. You've heard of this. Adulting is when you engage in activities associated with adulthood. In 2015, as I said, the word was nominated for a word of the year. And in 2016, Time Magazine wrote a piece on this phenomenon. I don't know what else to call it. Basically, they described in this article how adults today experience delayed development. So they reach the activities that tend to be associated with adulthood later in life. Here's a, here's a paragraph from that. I'm picking up the middle. So, so this jokey way, that was Time Magazine, jokey, and this jokey way of describing one's engagement in adult behaviors, which by the way, what are adult behaviors? Could be doing your own taxes, buying your first lawnmower, staying in on a Friday night, heaven forbid, being someone's boss, or getting super pumped about home appliances. That's hardcore adulting, I have to Right? This, these, these, this word can help uh, millennials acknowledge and or make fun of and or come to grips with that transition or how late they are to it. To say you are adulting is to, on some level, create distance between you and what are implied to be actual adults who are adulting 100% of the time. Uh, so, you might uh, hear phrases from those people that they're adulting uh, in their normal day, but not for those who say, uh, I adult, because we want to keep distance between taking on this identity of a person who has reached adulthood. We just happen to dabble in some of those activities. And so there are other ways that I could share, but the reality is all of us in our own way, all of us, even the ones who feel pride about not being in one of these two categories— just waiting for me to come down harshly on them. Listen, we all experience an inertia to stay stuck, shirk responsibility, and keep ourselves from accepting the call to grow and mature. There's some area in your life where you are rejecting growth because it's uncomfortable. And so to to the extent that that is true for you, and you're a Christian, then we're actually in that place failing to grow up in Christ. And that's what today's passage is about. In, in a broad sense, that's what Ephesians is about. That's what it's leading us to. And today we get to the actual passage where Paul tells us about growing up in Christ. So last week, Ben told us about how God not only gives saving grace, but also serving grace. And that is he equips his people in, with particular gifts in order to participate in the building up of the body of Christ, to invite us into this mission. 
And so what we'll see today is maturity is both goal and process. It's both the place that we're going and it's the process of getting there. And I want to make four observations that I see in this passage that Paul tells us about Christian maturity. He tells us about the goal of Christian maturity. He tells us about the standard of Christian maturity. He tells us about, what else does he tell us about? The goal, the standard, the effect, and the source. All right? So first, let's start with the goal of Christian maturity. Verse 13a. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. So I'm going to pick up on just a few words, but but first of all, you see the goal here. The goal is mature manhood, or you might say adulthood, but really it's completeness, it's it's wholeness, it is the fullness of maturity. And he tells us a little bit about that. It is, for us, the unity of the faith, and particularly as it's related to the knowledge of the Son of God. The mature person is both a person who has come into, increasingly, the unity of the faith and experienced it. And particularly, that unity is brought about by the knowledge of the Son of God. There's something that happens when a group of people or a person comes deeper into the knowledge of the Son of God, and it produces some type of unity, which we have been talking about and will continue to talk about. But today, I want to particularly uh, look at, in verse 13, the phrase, these few words, until we attain. So you see, this denotes process towards a goal. Until, process, we attain goal. Now, some of you in the room right now, I know, feel aimless in life in general. You feel aimless. You may even feel empty, and that might be confusing to you because you feel this emptiness in the midst of relative success, relative ease in your life. Others of you, though, feel uh, like you're drowning, like you're inundated simply with the, the everyday things of life, and you're confused how you might actually get ahead. You're confused how you might actually live your life with some sense of clarity. And what Paul is doing in telling us out front what is the goal of Christian maturity is he's giving us hope and a perspective. Because when we know where we're going and we know who's taking us there, and we'll get there at the end, but it's Jesus, what happens is we begin to see the details of every part of our life as contributing to taking us towards the goal. Whether it's your confusion or your pain or your suffering or your excitement. God is using all of these things for a purpose. And Paul is inviting us to see where he's taking us so that as we're walking in this process, the until we reach it, we have perspective on the journey. Paul wants to give us clarity about what God is up to in our life. And we all know the power of clarity. We all know the power of a goal to tell us where we're going has us focus on that thing. So even when things are happening all around us, we continue to interpret all things to taking us toward the goal. So uh, I, when I was in high school, uh, was really, in, really high school and college, was really into road cycling. So cycling, but that's the one where you wear the spandex and you have the really small tires, right? So you ride long distances when you do this. So we were riding from my hometown in Jasper, Indiana to Bloomington, Indiana, 
which in southern Indiana, I don't know what your picture of it is, is very hilly and very dangerous, and I would not do that again, but I was in high school. And there was a guy with me who was way more experienced, and it was my first ride on roads with absolutely no, um, no margin. So literally, for real, it was, it was the, a line, which is on the side of the road, maybe the, the width of this uh, iPad, and then uh, the rocks were like right here, and I had about this much for 40 miles with cars zooming past me. And he could tell I was struggling, and I really was struggling because I was kind of doing this. Every time a car would pass, it was like a magnet would suck me in to, like, to the path of the car. And finally, he yells ahead. He says, look at where you want to go. Look at where you want to go. And we stop, and he said, listen, listen to me. Wherever your eyes go, that's where your wheel is going to go, whether you realize it or not. And so that changed everything. And in fact, it was a good thing because traffic picked up after that because we had started off early in the morning. And I kept focusing on where do I want to go? Where am I going? And I looked ahead at where I was going. And it didn't matter how many cars were zooming past as long as I focused on where I wanted to go. A goal works very much like that. And for Paul to tell us where we're heading in Christian maturity, he's saying, keep your eyes on where you're going. And as cars are zooming past, as the the craziness of life is around you, focus on where you're going because that is where you will go. And so the goal of Christian maturity is completeness or manhood. And by that, he doesn't simply mean for men. He means humanity. And and I want to point out one other thing about what he says. He says, until we attain, but he says, until we all attain. You see, uh, this is not simply for a special class of Christians. This is not for a group of elite Christians. This is not for a specific group of trained Christians. This is for the entire body of Christ. God's purpose in your life, wherever you are, whatever's happening, even you, Christian, all of you, he's taking you to this destination. He will complete the work that he began in you. And so it's a gift that Paul gives us where he is taking us, the goal. So if this is the goal of Christian maturity— that is completeness or manhood. What's the standard of this? What does he mean by this? And he tells us right after that. And that's my second observation. The standard of Christian maturity is in verse 13b. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, here it is, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It's a rich and thick phrase that I'm not even sure I quite fully understand. But what I do understand is that Paul is giving us the standard of Christian maturity. He's telling us Jesus is the standard. The goal is maturity, mature manhood. You want to know what that means? The standard is Jesus himself, the standard of maturity to which we all must aspire. So not only does a goal give us clarity, we also, though, need a standard to aspire to in life, don't we? And every one of us is aspiring to some type of standard, whether we realize it or not. It may be the right one. It may be a non-helpful one. So many of us have had people in our lives that set a standard for us. And, and, I, and I mean this right now in a, in a very positive way. 
So for me, or for some of us who, are, who have been in scholarship, it might be someone in your department. Even if you're a student of any type, you, you find someone who writes like you want to write, who embodies the message that you want to embody, and they're your standard. For some of you, it's someone in the department in your organization, someone who's been there longer than you, someone that you can focus on and you respect. Could be an author or a mentor, someone you've never even met before, someone who might not even be alive. Maybe it's a person a few years ahead of you here in this church. It could be in parenting. It could be in character. But you see those people, and and you see them as a type of standard that you would like to attain or aspire to. And what happens when you see this is your imagination is stoked for what you could become in your life, who you could become, the type of person you could be in your family and in this church and in your workplace and in your community. And yet, as good as those things are, this is not the ultimate standard. Whatever your vision of the perfect theology is or the perfect church man or woman, it's a beautiful picture that could stoke your imagination. But if our standard stops at that person, then we've fallen short of the standard of true manhood, as Paul describes it. He clearly says it's the stature of Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate standard. And so when we see these wonderful gifts and qualities worthy of emulation in other people, we can acknowledge it and be grateful for it. And the more we're grateful for it, the more our gratefulness will increase as we realize it's Christ in them that we see. That's so captivating. So the standard of maturity is is more than even our best models. And this is actually good news because oftentimes we doubt the level of transformation that Jesus wants to and will accomplish in our life. And the reason that's good news is because The point is that the Christian is to press forward with no lesser ambition than becoming like Jesus. And to become like Jesus is the human life as it's intended to be, measured only by all that we can understand in the human life of Jesus himself. And so when we see the standard of Jesus, we come to realize Christianity is not behavior modification. Do you see that? We look at people, even if they seem so far ahead of us, we think, I want to become like that. And that's not a bad thing. But the problem is, is it's it's actually possible in your own strength to become like that person, probably. You can set goals, you can work toward it. But when we see Jesus as the standard, we actually get all of our categories exploded that Christianity is not behavior modification. Christianity is actually transformation into a new category of humanity. Not, not simply the top of a category of humanity that's attainable apart from Jesus, apart from the grace of God. And we'll get more to that in the last observation that Paul gives us. But Christianity, Christian maturity, is about transformation. It's about a whole new humanity. So the goal of Christian maturity is this mature manhood. The standard of that goal is Jesus himself. And then Paul, in verses 14 and 15, tells us the effects of this type of maturity as it takes root in our lives. Look with me in verse 14. So that, 
Okay, what, what is, why are we growing into all this maturity? He gives us a reason, verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him. I love that phrase. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So, the effect then of Christian maturity, in in a word, is rootedness. You see, uh, he says there must no longer be immaturity like children. And then he says children are characterized by instability in the face of pressure of different doctrines and standards of life, particularly is what he's saying. And and the word choice that Paul uses clues us into the fact that while some can be deceived and go astray without realizing it, there are some around us and in the world who are lying in wait to intentionally deceive. And so if you're not rooted, they will deceive you. If you're not rooted, you will be taken into the deceitfulness of their schemes and of their goals for you. See, that's why we, he started with goals. Because I got to tell you where we're going. Because the more you focus on that, the more obvious counterfeit goals will become. And even then, if you get in the right direction towards this Christian maturity thing, the standard isn't simply excellent models. The standard is Jesus. And what you see that's worthy of emulation in their life is a sign that points you to Jesus. And then what happens when, you, when we get those things straight increasingly, we'll be rooted and we'll be less gullible to deceit. Even the deceit that lies in our own hearts. And these words are very strong, actually. In fact, cunning and crafty, these words that, that he uses. Human cunning by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So you remember it this way, cunning and crafty. Two words that begins with C. Cunning means literally playing with dice. And it means trickery. And this is what Paul refused to engage in with the Corinthians. They were unimpressed with him. And he said, listen, I'm not going to engage in cunning ways like these other people in your midst that you're used to. I'm going to speak straightforwardly. It could also mean fraud. And secondly, craftiness. This word is used with reference to those questioners that came to our Lord Jesus in Luke 20. And they said, Should we pay taxes as Caesar or not? And in verse 20, it says, Jesus, perceiving their craftiness, gives them a very interesting answer. And in 2 Corinthians 11, this is the word that Paul uses when he tells the Corinthians that he's afraid they're being led away from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ by the craftiness of the devil. These words are very strong. And these things, craftiness and cunning, are all around us. Listen, Christian education, formation, theological education, even in the church, discipleship in godly living, in what a lifestyle of repentance and faith looks like, these things are more mature, I'm sorry, these things uh, are more important now than they were even 20 years ago. And I'm not the first person who's who's said this. And the reason is 
is because there used to be this overall cultural momentum that had basically a Christian-like worldview. And so your kids could go to uh, any school, and for the most part, the kids they would interact with and the teachers they would have would have some basis and shared view of what was right and what was wrong, uh, of some worldview that was shaped by and large uh, from the Christian tradition or story. That is not true anymore. And so that means not only as parents do we have to be more aware of that, not only as pastors do we have to be more aware of that, but you as disciples need to be more aware of that. Most everything in your life is malforming you. Most every marketing thing that you experience is at some level infiltrated with craftiness and cunning, trying to get you to buy into a vision of the good life that is the wrong goal, with the wrong standard, with bad effects. Which is why we need to really lean into this. Which is why I would say, please engage in our discipleship pathway. This is why we have made it our mission at New City to make whole life disciples. We have right now one mountain that we are climbing together, and that is to continue to move in the trajectory to answer one question, and that is, how do we make disciples? How do we make whole life disciples in this place? We will never fully answer the question, but we have to keep asking it, and we have to get better at it. We have to figure out what it means to get better at it. And that means I need to invite you to participate, to lean in, Because when you do, and as you and I mature and grow, we will experience more rootedness in our life. Because you see, the picture of the immature person in this passage is one who is destabilized, one who is gullible, one who is unprepared. And the picture of a mature and a maturing person is one who is growing up in every way. And growth into Christ is to be found more and more in him, where every part of life all of life, every part of life, finds its center, its object, and its goal in relation to him and in union with him. And I want you to know that does not come naturally to you. And if you expect it to, you will find yourself very shocked. Maturity is goal and process. We must continue to lean into the process. And it is not always up and to the right. It is not a constant straight line. It's a few steps forward and a catastrophic fall backwards. And then a few steps forward and a few steps back. And then an unbelievably needle-moving experience that that really does take you leaps and bounds forward. And then again, a couple falls back. This is the Christian life. This is the process of maturity. And yet, in order to grow up in Christ, we need a clearer picture of the goal. And we need a clearer picture of the standard. And we need to have our imaginations more and more fully captivated by the, by the beautiful effects of maturity. But we also need to understand something else. Lastly, that is the source of growth and maturity. Look with me in verse 16. Actually, I'll start in 15. Rather, uh, that is not being 
tossed to and fro by the waves like children. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Verse 16. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, Ben talked about this last week, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I want you to point out two things that speak to the source of Christian maturity. One, you might slip by really easily. Verse 16, the first word, simply from. From. Where does maturity come from? And then at the end, makes the body grow. What makes the body grow? The head. Through what through the means he's given the church for equipping, which Ben talked about last week. So when we embrace Jesus and his work for us, it's clear that we are engaging the source of transformation. The source of Christian maturity is the head, which is Jesus. And to grow up in Christ is not an optional thing. You realize that, right? Transformation is not an optional thing in the Christian life. Because what Paul is saying is, when you are connected to the head, and if you're a Christian, you are, you will grow. You will grow up in Christ. Because make, that's what it says, and makes it, makes the body grow. This is what happens when the life from the head is flowing in you, you will change and you will grow. And so God is working in his church to grow up his people in Christ. To grow a people who increasingly look more and more like his son in every area of their lives. So to follow Jesus is to embark on a journey of transformation. And again, it will not be comfortable. It will not be a straight line. It will be varied and it will be long. And it will be worth it. It will be varied. It will be long and it'll be worth it. But there is one fundamental mistake that will ruin it for you. There is one fundamental mistake that if we make, it will ruin the entire journey. And in fact, if we make this mistake, it may put us on a different path altogether. And that is, we must not mistake the source of growth or the source of transformation. You see, part of the Christian life is the continual realization that you are relying on yourself and what you can control to change you. Part of the journey is to discern when you are tapping into the wrong sources of growth. You see, growth and indeed every activity of us as Christians is from Jesus as our source and under his direction. And so we, as the members of his body, can be healthy and strong only as we are dependent upon him. You will be dependent on something. It might be yourself. And so for us, a continual turning away from or repenting of those sources you are trying to get the power of transformation from and then looking to Christ in faith as the source of our transformation is the fuel for your journey. To look away from false sources to the true source of Jesus, that is where you will change. That is where you will find the fuel for your journey. So my question for you is, where specifically are you 
tired in your journey of transformation? Where are you exhausted? You might find that in that place, you're resting in the wrong source. You're putting the wrong fuel in the engine of your heart. Where is that place? What source are you looking to for your transformation? Because if we're leaning into the source, into the true source, the head, our Lord Jesus, we will be transformed. We will grow. And the question is, do we believe a story of salvation in Christ that has transformation at its core or not? Or do we just sort of believe that Christianity is this thing that I ascribe to and I go to church and growth happens, but sometimes. I want to leave you with a quote from from Burglar. He says this, The good news is that Jesus died and rose from the dead in order to transform everything in the world to become more and more the way God wants it to be. And that includes all parts of you and of me. You see, that's my prayer, is that as we all continue to move forward together as a church, figuring out what it means to make whole life disciples who grow up in Christ, that this would capture our imagination and that we would increasingly enjoy the riches from the true source, which is our head, our Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you and we ask that those places that we're tired from trying to hide our lack of maturity, where we're tired from trying to produce our own fruit, that we would look to you rest in you. And as we experience the, the living water that's offered in you, Jesus, that we would be refreshed and that we would then begin to bear fruit by your doing. Thank you that you've given us means to engage that with. Thank you that you've given us community to walk with it in. Thank you that we're not alone in this. Thank you that you've given us your word to show us what true manhood looks like, even in Galatians 5, the fruit that the Spirit will bring about. Lord Jesus, give us a clear vision of who you are and who you're calling us to be and give us a clear view of the power that you are willing and ready to give to us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.